everybody. It is Monday, April 24th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, it is a big week here at Mo News. Mosh, it is. We are launching something very cool and exciting. Tell us about it. Well, we're going to keep it very vague. It's just a tease today. We will be officially rolling it out tonight on the Instagram live feed at 9 p.m. Eastern, if you've ever tuned into that over on the Mo News Instagram account. And we will have much more for you tomorrow on the podcast. But we can tell you right now, it'll involve a lot more news, more podcasts, more access, more of an opportunity to ask your questions and get your questions answered. Let's call it a more robust Mo News experience, Jill. If we worked at streaming services and we're not creative, we would call it Mo News Plus. But um, right. we are creative and we don't. So we're not calling it that. <laughs> it's slightly more creative than Mo News Plus or Mo News Max, but not that. Not much that. More it creative. actually isn't that much more creative. But anyway, it, it really is kind of the end of the beginning. It really is kind of Mo News 2.0 as we continue to grow. Part of what we're launching tomorrow is due to your feedback uh, that we've gotten from listeners, from followers on Instagram. So we're very excited to continue to grow the product, grow the offerings, and offer you uh, even more content. But Mosh, on that note, let's get to some news here. Evacuations of foreign diplomats has begun in Sudan, but the White House has a message for the nearly 16,000 Americans that are stuck there. We have no plans to come get you. The Supreme Court ruled this weekend to temporarily keep Mifepristone on the market. For now, we'll have the latest on what comes next. New mortgage fees take effect next month that in some cases appears to penalize people for a good credit rating in the name of equity. We'll explain. Texas is about to make the Ten Commandments a mandatory part of every public school classroom. What some Christian conservatives are telling Mo News about it. You better dig out those 20% off Bed Bath & Beyond coupons because you might not have much longer to use them. The company filing for bankruptcy this weekend. Someone appears to have lost their job over that controversial Bud Light endorsement deal last month with a trans activist. And we'll tell you about the gold heist at a Canadian airport last week. Plus, Mosh has on this day in history. Jill, I'll tell you about the biggest library in the world, and you might be surprised to know where it's located. All right, let's start with the evacuation of Westerners from Sudan. Foreign governments, including the United States, evacuated diplomats, staff, and others from the East African country over the weekend as rival generals continue to escalate a dispute into an all-out civil war. The U.S. and Britain were among countries who airlifted their diplomats from the capital of Khartoum, and that came as Sudanese citizens desperately sought to flee the chaos, risking dangerous roads to cross the northern border into Egypt. The ongoing violence has affected operations at the main international airport, destroying civilian planes. Other airports have also been knocked out of operation. After a week of battles that hindered rescues, U.S. Special Forces swiftly evacuated 70 U.S. Embassy staffers from Khartoum to Ethiopia early Sunday. American officials said it was too dangerous for a government-coordinated evacuation of thousands of private citizens. There are an estimated 16,000 Americans in the country. Other countries are scrambling to remove their citizens as well as their diplomats, however. France and Italy said that they would accommodate all their citizens who want to leave, as well as those of other countries who could not otherwise join an evacuation operation. So the White House was asked about this on Friday, about whether American citizens there should expect to be rescued. And the White House said, no, 
The State Department has listed Sudan under its highest level travel advisory for months, which warns Americans not to journey to a country or advises that if they do, the government may not be able to provide them help during a crisis. So we're going to see how that message unfolds, Jill. Uh, it was a pretty stark message from the White House. But of course, nobody wants to see our fellow countrymen die in a, a foreign civil war. So we're going to continue to monitor that message and how that evolves the next coming days. Especially, Mosh, given that other countries, like I was just mentioning, the French, the Italians, are evacuating their own citizens. Yeah, the optics aren't good here. Uh, and while Washington is right that officially, you know, they've warned Americans not to travel there and America can't be expected to save all Americans around the world, um, as this conflict heats up and as potentially we start to see some situations where Americans could be injured or die in the fighting, you can expect that that might change over the coming days. But let's back up here. Uh, for those of you who haven't been familiar with what's going on there, what's escalated in Sudan, it's the third largest country in Africa. Uh, it has had a number of coups and wars over the course of the past 70 years. And this most recent one is effectively a power struggle within the Sudanese military between one general, who's been the president of the country, and another general who's been the vice president of the country. And that secondary general has a rival force that is effectively warring now with the main military. Now, these rival generals actually came to power after a previous coup just two years ago, and they led the country jointly for the last couple of years, but then they had a falling out. And their goal in the past few months was to help Sudan transition back to a democracy after that coup two years ago. They were supposed to help transition to a civilian-led government. But the president, the vice president couldn't agree, and now you have a war that has broken out in the country between their forces. What's interesting here is you have both generals trying to curry favor in the West, saying, I'll hook up your people, I'm in charge here, the other one is the one causing trouble, and we'll see which one uh, effectively was able to win here, take control here, achieve international legitimacy. In the meantime, though, as we normally see here in these wars, it's the civilians who suffer. Thousands of Sudanese, as you mentioned, have fled the fighting in the main city. But for the most part, many people have not been able to leave, which means millions of people are sheltering in their homes amid these explosions, gunfire, and there's been looting already without adequate electricity, food, and water. And this affects not just the city of Khartoum, the capital, but the entire country, including the western region of Darfur. You may have heard of Darfur in the past. Uh, war is not new to that region where there's been ethnically motivated violence. This killed up to 300,000 people over the last 20 years. In Darfur, 20,000 people have already left in this most recent round of fighting for a neighboring country. And both of these generals, I should note, by the way, were involved in some capacity in the violence in Darfur in recent years. Okay, back here at home now to the major ruling over the weekend on the abortion pill, Mifepristone. The Supreme Court on Friday allowed the most commonly used abortion pill in the United States to remain widely available, at least for now. The court blocked the decision by Texas U.S. District Judge Matthew Kaczmarek earlier this month, which had invalidated FDA approval of Mifepristone. That pill was first approved 23 years ago. Two of the nine justices, conservatives Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, said that they would have let part of Kaczmarek's ruling take effect. The Justice Department and Danco Laboratories, which makes the name brand version of Mifepristone, which is Mifeprex, had asked the Supreme Court to keep the pill accessible while the case goes through the court system. Judge Kaczmarek and a federal appeals court had both called for immediate limits on the pill, even before it was heard fully by the courts. The weekend decision means that women can still obtain Mifepristone by mail. 
take it at home and use it up to 10 weeks into a pregnancy as litigation continues in the lower court. The generic version of the drug made by GenBioPro will also continue to be available. The case now goes back to the Fifth Circuit of Appeals for oral arguments before a three-judge panel on May 17th. Nothing will change Mifepristone's availability in the interim. You might recall last week we told you that the Supreme Court delayed a couple times and then gave themselves a Friday night deadline to make this decision. But we should note this is not the final decision by the Supreme Court. This is merely an emergency case related to whether the pill should remain available while it works its way through the court system. So there is a scenario likely here that the Supreme Court could be hearing the full constitutionality of the ruling in regards to whether a court can overturn an FDA approval. So dealing with this case, we don't know that much as to why the Supreme Court jail ruled the way it did. We know that there were the two justices you mentioned, Alito and Thomas, who dissented. We actually don't know how big the majority was. Was it five justices? Was it seven justices? They didn't actually explain the rationale of their decision. They just basically said, it shall remain available as this case works its way through the courts. As far as the dissents, Thomas, no explanation, just said dissent. Alito is the only person who elaborated, and it is notable because Alito was the person who wrote the decision overturning Roe v. Wade last year. And in his dissent, he said he didn't think anyone would be harmed by not allowing the pill to be available by mail or only making it available for seven weeks instead of for 10 weeks to women who need to use it for an abortion. Those were some of the expanded availability rules on Mifepristone from 2016. That's something a lower court had said, no, let's like limit how much the pill is available. And Alito said, I think that's actually reasonable. The pre-2016 availability of the pill, regardless, the, it is now fully available, as you said. But as we watch next month's proceeding in the U.S. Court of Appeals and inevitably a return to the Supreme Court, this will mark a significant test for the court system on how to deal with the issue of abortion. Of course, it was only last June when they overturned Roe v. Wade, kicked it back to the states. And effectively, what they said in that decision was abortion is now the purview of the states. We are done at the Supreme Court with this. Well, it has returned in less than a year. And so as this makes its way back up to the court, it will be a very interesting test for the Supreme Court in how they rule on this. And again, here, we don't have much on how this group is thinking besides the fact that they determined here that nothing should change in the interim. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including the speed read. Jill, there was a major heist of gold in Canada, we'll tell people about, that has the makings of a movie script. In the meantime, though, I want to take a couple of our sponsors this week, starting with Magic Spoon Cereal. We often talk about nostalgia on this podcast. One thing many of us look back on fondly is the cereals that we ate back in the day. And Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way. They're offering right now a variety pack that includes peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors that allow you to taste that nostalgia, but in a low-carb way. The great thing right now with Magic Spoon Cereal is they're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and sugar-free, and they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack and try today. The promo code, again, is monews, and at checkout, it'll save you $5 off your order. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product it is backed with what they call a 100% happiness guarantee. So if for any reason you don't like it, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Again, you can get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews using the code monews to get $5 off. And just coming off of Earth Day, it is more important than ever for us to make thoughtful changes that make a big impact when it comes to caring for the Earth. 
And it can start with small things, including what type of sandwich or trash bags you use. So we're very happy to be partnering with Hold On. That's Hold On One Word. It's a company that's all about finding a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but it turns out they don't need to be 100% plastic which in most cases cannot be recycled. Hold on, trash and kitchen bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable. We have been using them in our kitchen, and it feels good to be part of the movement away from single-use plastics. They break down in weeks, not centuries. They're offering a special deal now to the Mo News audience. To shop plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home, you can visit holdonbags.com slash monews or enter Mo News at checkout to save 20% off your order. Sustainability has never been more simple. So that's H-O-L-D-O-N bags.com slash monews or to enter Mo News to get 20% off your order. All right, time now for the speed read from USA Today. If you are looking to buy a home, beware that mortgages will be changing next month. Starting May 1st, upfront fees for new loans backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which is most of them, will be adjusted. So they're going to be fluctuating based on credit scores, down payments, types of homes, and more. They're what's called loan-level price adjustments, or LLPAs. Controversially, this is going to mean that in some cases, people with higher credit scores above 680 may end up paying a bit more than before, while those with lower credit scores in the 500s and low 600s are going to pay slightly less. Now, these changes are part of the Federal Housing Finance Agency's broader look at changing fees to provide what they say is, quote, equitable and sustainable access to home ownership. Newsweek reports that it's part of the Biden administration's plan to close the racial home ownership gap and get more first-time and low-income homebuyers in the door. The average credit score in white communities was 727 in 2021, compared with 667 in Hispanic communities and 627 in Black communities, according to uh, some data that they looked at. Only about 25% of homebuyers with the Federal Housing Administration loans are people of color, according to the White House. Black and Hispanic people, on average, have fewer savings to use as a down payment on a home and tend to have lower credit scores, according to officials that they spoke with. Jill, we first started reporting this over the weekend and have gotten an onslaught of comments, mainly negative, from the Monos community. But we'll get to that in a second here. Keep in mind, you will still get a much better rate for having a better credit score. At the same time, people say, I don't want to have to pay any penalty for working really hard on my credit score. This new fee matrix was officially approved in January. It didn't actually get that much attention at the time. Finally started to get some publicity last week in some conservative media outlets. All right, let's go into examples here on what this may mean. High credit buyers with scores ranging from 680 to above 780 will see a spike in their mortgage costs. Especially those of you who place a 15 to 20% down payment, you will experience the biggest increase in fees. The fee increase, though, is unlikely to lead to significantly higher monthly mortgage payments for most borrowers. So here's an example. Say you're someone with a $400,000 loan and a 6% mortgage rate. You may wind up paying about $40 more a month, according to calculations, again, if you have a credit rating of above 680. So that's 40 bucks more a month. That equals to 480 bucks a year. But then over the course of the entire mortgage, you are talking about thousands of dollars. Jill, you mentioned that the Biden administration, uh, the idea here is equity, uh, trying to lift up folks with lower credit rating, in particular uh, people of color. 
Uh, at the same time, though, at least among anecdotally, the evidence we're hearing from the Monus community, including people who are saying, I voted for Biden, I'm a Democrat. They right now are pretty down on this proposal, uh, given what they've heard about it. So it appears it will require some finessing, some messaging from the White House here if they want this to play positively when it comes to politics. It's not exactly the same thing, but it is a similar idea as affirmative action. It feels like perhaps the reason they're getting so much backlash is because these are real dollars and cents that people are are actually going to be seeing. And homeownership in general is so much less attainable. It's not like it's an easy yeah. thing for everybody. Um, it's tough. We do stories all the time about how first-time home buyers are just priced out of the market. Right. I mean, if you look at the tax system, right, people who, you know, tend to uh, have higher income tax brackets pay higher, higher percentage of their taxes, at least they're supposed to. So there are multiple areas of society of the system where you can say this sort of thing exists. But at the same time, Jill, to your point, it comes at a time where the housing market has gone berserk, right? It's very hard to buy a house. Many millennials still waiting to buy their first home years after uh, their boomer parents were able to, just given where housing prices have gotten. Then over the last year, you have interest rates going up. And so it just comes at an inopportune time, which makes the messaging challenge by the White House all the more difficult. From the Texas Tribune, public schools in Texas would have to prominently display the Ten Commandments in every classroom starting next school year under a bill that the Texas Senate approved on Thursday. The Ten Commandments bill will head to the state house for consideration if the Republican-led Texas House approves the bill and the governor, Greg Abbott, a Republican, signs it into law. The measure would go into effect September 1st, which is the start of the next academic year. In a committee hearing this month, sponsors cited the Supreme Court's 6-3 decision in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District as to why the path was clear to bring the Ten Commandments back into Texas classrooms. In that decision, Kennedy v. Bremerton, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a school board in Washington state discriminated against a former football coach when it disciplined him for post-game prayers at midfield. The court ruled that Joe Kennedy was praying as a private citizen, not as a school district employee. Yeah, that was a big case that uh, folks who advocate for this sort of thing point to here. It will be unclear, though, whether that's relevant here, because, again, that was a coach that was praying during a football game, leading his players, it was optional, versus mandating the Ten Commandments has to be up in every single classroom. Sponsors describe the Ten Commandments as being part of American heritage here. One of the supporters saying that this will, quote, remind students all across Texas of the importance of the fundamental foundation of America. Now, there are many critics here who say the fundamental foundation of America is the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, all things that most people would agree should be up in a classroom. This comes, Jill, as you've seen the last couple of years, a growing number of conservatives on the far right uh, trying to break down the traditional separation of church and state. The Texas Senate actually also gave passage to a bill last week, which would allow public and charter schools to adopt a policy requiring every campus to set aside time for students' employees to read the Bible or other religious texts. But these bills are raising concerns regarding the separation of church and state. It was very interesting, Jill, over the weekend, I heard from a number of Christians, evangelicals, Texas Republicans, who are church going and you know believe that if more people were religious in America, we'd see less problems. At the same time, Jill, what was so interesting to hear from them was they disagree with this. They feel this is a step too far. And they actually feel that it hurts their cause. And they were surprised that the legislators in Texas 
are going this far. Now, keep in mind, this still has to be signed by the governor here, and we'll see what the feedback is. One thing we should note, by the way, Jill, the Ten Commandments are not just one thing. In fact, when you look at the Ten Commandments for Jews, Protestants, Catholics, everyone has Ten Commandments, but they're all written slightly differently. In some cases, two of them are combined. And so that leads to another question here, which is, without one agreement on what the Ten Commandments are, like word for word, well, which one are you giving favor to? The Protestant one, the Catholic one, the original Jewish one? And so that's another issue here that inevitably will come up. And Joe, even if they get that far, then you'll have second graders asking you uh, what thou shall not commit adultery means <laughs> uh, in your classroom. Mosh, the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> Now to some business news from CNBC. Bed Bath & Beyond on Sunday filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection after it failed in several last-ditch efforts to raise enough money to keep the company alive. The beleaguered home goods retailer has been warning of a potential bankruptcy since early January. That's when it issued a notice that it may not have the cash to cover expenses after a dismal holiday season. Shares of the company closed at 29 cents Friday, giving it a market value of $136.9 million. The stock is down about 88% this year. Last April, it was trading at around 20 bucks a share. The company's 360 Bed Bath & Beyonds and 120 Bye Bye Baby locations will remain open for the time being as it begins to close the business and liquidate assets, but it has filed motions in bankruptcy court asking permission to auction the two brands. Yeah, so if you're interested in trying to revive those brands or own those brands, they could be available sometime soon. Jill, if people listening are anything like us, I'm sure you have a bunch of 20% off coupons lying around the house. You may try to head to one of those locations and see what you can get, but I mean, the inventory has been low for a while. Forget the 20% off coupons. I feel like I have, I have hundreds of dollars of credit at, at Bye Bye Baby that I think it's time to use. Jill, you should definitely make plans to head out today because I imagine there'll be a run on these stores. Again, what inventory is left? Because that's been a huge issue for a while now. Bed Bath, I think we did it on the podcast earlier this year, has had major difficulty keeping its shelves stocked because of liquidity issues. It hasn't had enough money to buy inventory. And some of the vendors, knowing that they're having issues, have been asking for prepayments before they're sending any goods to the stores. For years, Bed Bath enjoyed healthy annual profits, but then Amazon uh, and others entered the picture, began chipping away at their market share. Profits began to slide. Bed Bath did not go down without a fight, though. They've been hanging on by a thread since the holidays. They actually tried to do two rounds of securing more funding, what's called a Hail Mary stock offering. They were hoping to gain a billion dollars in equity to help keep the company afloat. That plan only brought in $360 million. Then they tried again in March to bring in $300 million. At that time, they could only bring in just under $50 million. So they tried their best here, Jill. But it appears the days of Bed Bath & Beyond and Bye Bye Baby are over. From Ad Age, the marketing executive who oversaw a partnership between Bud Light and a transgender influencer is now taking a leave of absence after that marketing campaign totally backfired, sparking calls for boycotts and uh, tons of angry customers. Alyssa Heinerscheid, Bud Light's VP of Marketing, is going to be replaced by another executive, according to reports from Beer Business Daily and Ad Age. The company also made streamlining changes that its most senior marketers are more closely connected to all of its brand activities. 
The partnership between the beer brand and transgender social media star Dylan Mulvaney, who has more than 10 million followers on TikTok and Instagram, hit the internet on April 1st. Mulvaney rose to fame chronicling her gender transition on social media. In this new campaign, Mulvaney posted a video on Instagram showing herself cracking open a can of Bud Light in the bathtub, one with the hashtag Bud Light Partner, But the Bud Light-Mulvaney partnership quickly brought an onslaught of criticism for people who said that they are angry about the world going woke. Musician Kid Rock posted a video of himself shooting cans of Bud Light with a rifle. Yeah, Jill, that was among thousands of videos that were released of people taking trucks to beer cans, uh, doing a whole bunch of things, destroying Bud Light beer cans, pouring them uh, down the drain. So this is not played well among certain Bud Light drinkers. By the way, a day before they announced the partnership with Dylan Mulvaney, Heiner Scheid, the marketing executive, was interviewed on a podcast where she discussed her work in transforming the Bud Light brand from its, quote, fratty and out-of-touch humor to a beer company that embraces inclusivity. And it's notable, Jill, because just a few years ago, LGBT bars, including in New York, were protesting the brand for not being inclusive enough. And now they're getting ripped from the other end of things. Despite the immediate backlash from the partnership with Mulvaney, Bud Light initially defended the move before later offering sort of a half-hearted apology. Jill was honestly a very confusing statement by Bud Light that read in part, we never intended to be part of a discussion that divides people. We are in the business of bringing people together over a beer. So they weren't defending it. They weren't apologizing for it. They're kind of living in the middle ground. And now we hear word that this marketing executive has been reassigned. Based on the share price of Anheuser-Busch, It appears they've lost several billion dollars in value over the course of the past couple of weeks. And now from the BBC, a story that sounds like it should be a movie plot. Police are investigating a massive gold heist at Toronto Pearson International Airport. That's a location that is often used to ship gold that's been mined in the province of Ontario. Canadian officials say more than $15 million of gold and valuables were stolen last Monday. An aircraft container carrying the goods arrived at the airport in the evening and was transported to a cargo holding facility. Police believe that is where the heist took place. Believe it or not, Jill, this is not the largest heist in Canadian history. And there's nothing more Canadian than this. In 2011 and 2012, there was what was called the Great Canadian Maple Syrup Heist that included (laughs) 3,000 tons of maple syrup valued at nearly $19 million that were stolen from a storage facility in Quebec. This has actually been written into a movie script. Knowing the barrels of the strategic reserve of maple syrup were only inspected once a year, the thieves replaced the syrup with water and then transported it over the border where it was packaged into smaller batches and then sold to legitimate buyers and black market exporters. Now, the Canadians eventually investigated that successfully, arresting 16 people, part of the maple syrup heist. Now it's onto the gold heist, and they're still investigating that. And from Variety, the Super Mario Brothers movie continued to rack up coins at the box office, leading ticket sales for the third straight weekend. The animated hit is nearing a billion dollars in sales after just 18 days in theaters. The film grossed $58.2 million in its third weekend. This week, it became the highest-grossing animated release of the pandemic era, with domestic ticket sales up to $434.3 million through Sunday. And its uh, global tally is at $871 million. Incredible. Yeah, when Super Mario Brothers soon passes a billion worldwide, which they expect in the coming days, it'll now be the fourth film in the last two years to reach that billion-dollar benchmark. The other films, Spider-Man No Way Home, Top Gun Maverick, and Avatar The Way of the Water. 
It's funny, Mosh, because it's not a movie that I would typically want to see or that I'd even think my daughter would want to see. But everyone who has kids is talking about it. They've seen it. Everyone says it's great. I think the music is supposed to be really good also. It has something that you and I would enjoy. And I think a lot of people who who listen to this podcast, it has a lot of old school, like 80s and 90s hits, apparently. They're playing to the parents. Correct. (laughs) Well, then I might have to check it out and help them uh, achieve a billion dollars in the box office in the coming weeks. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this April 24th. We're going to start in the year 1800. The Library of Congress was officially founded today by President John Adams, who appropriated $5,000 to acquire books that will be necessary for use by Congress. The British would burn down that Library of Congress early on in the War of 1814. That's when they lost the original 3,000 books. But then in 1815, 15 years in, Congress approves the purchase of Thomas Jefferson's entire personal library of just under 6,500 books. And so that became the basis to rebuild the library. Today, the Library of Congress here in the U.S. is the largest library in the world with more than 173 million volumes. All right, fast forward to the 20th century. This week in 1985, one of the biggest marketing blunders in corporate history, Coca-Cola announced it was changing its formula for Coke and that would now be known as New Coke, it turned out that nobody liked the new formula, or at least very few people <laughs> did. And so then six months later, they returned to the original formula. You've got to give credit, though, most to companies that realize when they made a mistake and go back and just say, OK, you know, our bad. We're yeah. going to go back to the original. Snapchat did that a few years ago. They changed their whole look and interface. And there was this huge backlash and they changed back. They were like, OK, we get it. OK, we'll change back. I think it's good when these companies aren't too stubborn and realize when they made a mistake. It's a very tricky dance, right? Consumers are very tricky. At some point, you know, consumers decide this is stale. Uh, I need something fresh. And then they try to offer something fresh and consumers are like, no, 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 I really like the old thing. So navigating that is the challenge for companies that want to, you know, continue to thrive and survive. Speaking of those companies, Jill, this week in 2005 marks the first ever video posted to YouTube. It was called Me at the Zoo and the YouTube co-founder, Jawed Kareem was standing in front of an elephant enclosure at the San Diego Zoo talking about it. And that was the first ever video uploaded to YouTube. The idea was it provided a central place for people to upload video. If you remember those early days of the internet, again, pre-2005, it was very hard to find videos. They were being played on many different platforms. Uh, And so what YouTube tried to do was streamline that. Uh, They did it so successfully, they got bought by Google, which owns it today. And it has now become the top source for news and entertainment among many Americans, according to recent polls. Which is why very soon we hope to get our podcast up on YouTube. Yes, on a daily basis. Stay tuned. All right, a happy 27th birthday today to the WNBA, founded on this day in 1996. A happy 81st birthday to singing legend Barbara Streisand. The Brooklyn native turns 81 (laughs) today. She has sold more than 150 million records and is one of the best-selling artists of all time, Jill. And we'll end here with some more music news. A song that turns 40 years old this week, Jill. That is Come and Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners, Jill. This week in 1983, it reached number one on the Billboard charts. And even though Dexy's Midnight Runners, the group, imploded not long after this number one hit, the song itself, you still hear pretty often. 
And it for sure will be stuck in everybody's head who made it this far into the podcast. Sorry, not sorry. Come on, Eileen. All right. On that note, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store so we can continue to grow. And call me maybe. Yes, call us 1-800-711-MOSH. It is our digital voicemail where you can leave your name, where you're from, and a question for me and Jill, and uh, we'll try to answer it in a future episode. And we'll have some more exciting news related to that in our big announcement tonight on Instagram at 9 p.m. Eastern, as well as on tomorrow's podcast. So stay tuned and don't forget to follow us over there if you don't on Instagram over at atmosh at M-O-S-H-E-H for all news 24-7. Okay, bye everybody. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.